TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tigers football. Here is your host for Tigers Tonight, John Maddox. Good evening, everyone. Welcome inside of Tigers Tonight here on the September the 20th, 2016 edition of the program. I'm your host, John Maddox, joined by a man that is in a place that most Tiger fans loathe. Calling in to us live from Knoxville, Tennessee, is the best co-host in all the land, Larry Marley. Larry, how in the world are you, and how are things in Big Orange Country tonight? It looks fine. It's nice and warm. Um, and since we're going to talk about Bowling Green, i got a great Bowling Green story. I want to tell real fast, and I, I was up in uh, Toledo working back in, I think it was the winter of 97, and uh, my sister-in-law lived in Toledo at the time, and she she says, we got to go down to Bowling Green and see this band I've been hearing about. I was like, all right, so we drive down to Bowling Green, and we go to, and Bowling Green's not a very big place, and so the bar, it's not like Lafayette or anything, it's like a Huey's or like, you know, the Bayou, yeah. the band comes out, and they're like, we got an album coming out, I can't wait. You guys got to buy it. Our name is Matchbox 20. <laughs> and I went, that's the stupidest name for a band I've ever heard. These guys are so stink. <laughs> and of course, what's the year later, they were enormous. So, well, well that's been talking about Bowling Street. Yeah, yeah. One of the many reasons you are not a uh, musical talent scout and are here with me tonight on Tigers Tonight, you you would be interested to know that uh, we were talking to Gil, our producer, last week. You know about the history of the building and how these are recording studios. Well, uh, in the two, actually, for the first time since I've been coming over here, in the two adjacent buildings, they're actually. Uh, allegedly bands recording in both buildings right now. So uh, if you get treated to a concert during the live stream, we apologize about that. But uh, not really a whole lot we can do. But uh, Tigers did quite a bit of damage on Saturday as they defeat the Kansas Jayhawks by a final score of 43-7. to And several of us were reminiscing on Twitter. Um, I don't remember being more miserable physically at a football game than I was Saturday in a very, very long time. It was extremely hot, extremely humid. Um, and you know, the crowd was kind of packed in over where we were on our seats, a crowd of about 35,000 people, uh, showed up for the game on Saturday to watch the Tigers, as we said, win by a final score of, uh, 43 to seven over the Kansas Jayhawks. And, you know, Larry, we'll get kind of in the nuts and bolts of things here. Um, but at some point, you all are going to have to let me be concerned about where we are as far as the offensive line goes. And, and you know, I've let you guys talk yeah. me off the ledge for the last uh, – or for the first week, and I said, you know, gosh, it just didn't really look good. You know, I was really concerned. And you guys are like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And then Kansas comes in and has 10 tackles for loss, uh, caused a couple fumbles, had a horribly ugly sequence, I think, in the second – yeah, it was in the second quarter. Yeah. Uh, you know, where we end up on fourth and 43 and we snap the ball off the ground and the punter, and then we enter up, of course, that's the play right before we end up intercepting the pass and running it back for a touchdown, um, right at the right. end of the half. So, but so nobody remembers that. Right. Nobody was. So, but I, I want you, before we get into the numbers, I want you to tell me why I shouldn't, after what we saw on Saturday, why I shouldn't be concerned about our offensive line. Because the rushing attack was very effective. Okay. And they opened holes for our our running backs. And and so from, from that standpoint, because that was what we were concerned about in the first game. 
was we didn't run the ball effectively. Um, which So we flipped the script, and we ran the ball really well. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think we have to, you have to look at it and go, okay, we were able to open holes for our, our running backs. Now, our pass protection was not good. And uh, we can't make any bones about this. Um, we're going to talk about Riley in a minute, but but let's just start by saying, uh, and first off, that, that defensive end for theirs, I think his name is Wise, that kid's awesome. I mean, he's really good. Uh, and that's, we're not making excuses. That kid's really good. He's probably going to make a roster somewhere next year or wherever, whenever he goes pro. But he, he's really good. So that was one of the issues. Um, but the pass protection was, was, was not good. And, and so that is, if you want to be concerned about that, then that's, that's fine. It's, it's, that's valid. Well, you know, I mean, you know, you, you look at the numbers and Memphis ran for 205 yards, um, while holding KU to 121. Uh, and you take out of that, out of that 121, you take 66 on a play that Mike Norvell and company said, you know, yesterday in his press conference, he said, look, that was kind of on us. They lined up in a, in a, you know, in a different formation that we hadn't seen. We overloaded the strong side. They, they threw it yep. back weak side or handed it back weak side. They you know, handed it back weak side. It was a counter. And it was a counter. And we just, we didn't have anybody there. He said, you know, that's not really a bust. He said, we put the guys out of position. Um, we had six turnovers in the game, which which I thought was really good. And we, for, we forced six. Turnovers. Yeah, we and we did have. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, we forced six turnovers. And and you know, I, I I said to you during the game, or I think I may have said it on Twitter. I said, you know, Kansas. The good thing about them is they make up for being small by being slow. Um, yep. Is that the worst FBS team you've ever seen? I think they're wow. as I think they're as bad um, as we ever were. I, they just they're they're just they're. I'm sm- trying to think. no, it's not the worst, not the worst. It it may be the worst P five school I've ever seen. Uh, it's not the worst FBS. Now, listen, some some there's been some of those Wyoming teams and some of those teams. They're out there in the Sun Belt that are really bad. So if you had um, two, and, if you have 2012 Memphis and 2015 or 16 Kansas, who wins the ball game? Man, what a pillow fight! Um, I, I think Memphis does because I just think well, we even I, had better players. I, just um, think, I, I think I think I think I think I think Larry's team wins. Yeah, because this team, that Kansas team's not going to win another game. All year, I mean, they—that's—they're—they're they're, they're going one in twelve. Yeah, they're—they're going to get boat raced. Anyway, um, I mean, they are—they are whoever, whoever, whatever Big Twelve school has them on their schedule. That's a bye week. Yeah. I mean, uh, literally, there's not, none of those other nine teams are. Are nearly that bad. So Kansas has 14 first downs in the game, 121 rushing yards, 193 passing yards. They're 26 of 41, two picks. They fumbled the ball four times. They lost it all four times. And I just thought that, you know, it, it, it was one of those things that just seemed to me like it didn't. 
the coaching staff, and look, I'm not here to question coaches, but the coaching staff for Kansas, it didn't seem like they had, and you know, we asked Jesse about this last week. We said, you know, what's, what's the identity of Kansas? And he, you know, he was very candid and very open, so they didn't really have one. And, and frankly, they didn't. And that, they, it showed. And it seemed like, you know, uh, Ryan Willis, they'd put him in the game, the court, backup quarterback, and he'd, he'd have a great series or at least a decent series. And then he'd fumble it or get an interception. And then they throw Cozart right back out there and, he would fumble, and it was like, it didn't matter. They never let anybody really get in a rhythm, but I don't know that it would have mattered because I don't think either one of those guys are any good. And, um. Well, well, well I think Cozart could be a good if, if, let's say they, they were ordered to run, you know, say the triple option or something like that with him. I, I think he could be, he's never going to be, um, a very accurate passer. So, I mean, you give him, you give him one read. And, and, and if it's not there, then he, he run. I mean, that, that's how you have like the, the other kid, um, Willis. Ryan he's Willis. Just not, yeah, Willis, he's just not very accurate. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a pocket passer, you've got to be accurate, which is what we're going to talk about Riley. <laughs> I mean, it's, but, but, uh, but if you're going to be a pocket passer, you have to be accurate. The, the, the thing was Memphis, and I want to give Memphis's defense some, absolutely, absolutely. But but there was there was there was the, the one fumble that they forced on the attempted uh, shovel pass was that's the best I've seen our defense look in two years. That, that was a, you could tell the coaches had diagnosed that play, they had seen it, they had told the players how to handle it, and they executed it perfectly. The, the kid came under to take the shovel pass, and our um, or whatever you want to call him, monster man or scat back, whatever, blew that guy up. Just, just, just knocked him on his tail. If the guy had nowhere to throw the ball, um, and and so then the quarterback, you know, and kind of trying to figure out what to do, he fumbled it. You know, and I think you, if you gave Kansas's staff six weeks, they couldn't figure out how to block Gerard, Gerard Avery. I mean, no, 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 no. <laughs> he, he was un, he was no, he unblockable, was, and and you know that that. That kind of thing is, is what I think our defense has probably lacked in the last couple of years. So, just do you think he's playing better than Tate Jakes was? And I, I, somebody asked me this on Tiger Lane after the game. I think it's different. I, I just think it's different. I think he is more. I think he's more aggressive, and I, I think the staff uses him differently than the previous staff used Tank. And and I, I don't. I don't want to say one's better. I think. I think. No, no, no. Is he playing better? Do you think he's playing that? Oh, absolutely, and I, My yeah. answer was yes. Yeah. And this is why, because as great as Tank was at what he did, Avery's a better athlete. Well, Avery's a better athlete, and I think while Tank made great plays, Avery has the ability to affect every play. Like, like He can yep. literally affect – he he wore that A-gap out all night long. They couldn't block it. They, they could, they not, could not figure it. out how to block it. Block that and, I, and I tell you, Austin <laughs> Hall I thought was great too. And, you know, there's a kid who's a walk-on from Collierville. And then, you know, you add him in. I thought DeMarco Montgomery was really good in spots. And, and Sharif White was quietly – all over the place on Saturday. Very uh, effective. Hold Kansas. We did all this without Jackson Dillon. Yeah, who? Yeah, I I don't know how much of Jackson we're going to see, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, right. Third downs. Uh, Kansas goes five of sixteen. Memphis just three of fourteen on third down. Two teams behind go eight of thirty on third down. Uh, Kansas zero of two on fourth down. Uh, Kansas did have five sacks in the game. Um. 
and that, that's yeah, that's worrisome that's for me. Yeah, that's that's a problem yeah. on the offensive end. But you know, y'all are, y'all keep telling and, me. And, and I'm going to say this right now: that's not all on the offensive line. Oh no, that's not. And, and let's get into that for a couple minutes. Um, I, I've got some concerns about Riley Ferguson as quarterback um, when he is good. On the 84-yard touchdown pass to Anthony Miller and the seven-yard fade to Phil Mayhew, uh, he's yep. very, very good. Um, but when he's not very, very good, he, he's got a lot of work to do. He, he doesn't – I don't think – I think it's a confidence problem, Larry. I, I just don't think he's got enough confidence. And there were at least – I can close my eyes and think of four occasions where he could have run for five or six or seven yards and probably gotten out of bounds, not necessarily taken a hit. But, you know, he may have gotten hit. You know, he could have run for four or five yards, and, and he would kind of turn and try to go east and west at the last possible second to keep the play alive and then end up throwing it away. And in this offense, you've just got to take yards where you can get them. And I think what that does is incompletions and, and that sort of things gets us, slows us down. It, it slows the rhythm of our offense down. And, um, you know, he's not Paxton Lynch. He's not going to go out and run for 75, 80 no, yards, but he's got to, he's got to take five or six yards when he can get it. And you and I talked a little bit about his body language in the pocket. He's not comfortable. Yep. It's, he, he's not, he's not there yet. And that's what's so amazing. But that throw to Anthony Miller, I mean, that was, he, he threw it perfectly. And then poor number one for Kansas. Uh, somebody yeah, needs, somebody, turn around nine times. somebody <laughs> needs to go let him back in the Liberty Bowl because he ended up out on Hollywood, but, you know, it's just it's amazing to me how you know he can go from that guy to the guy that that won't run for four yards and pick up that crucial first down. And and I think I'm hoping here's what I'm hoping is that it comes with confidence. That's that's my you know more repetition. He just gets more and more comfortable in the offense and gets more confident. And and I hope that that's what it is. And it's not just a I'm not going to run because I'm not a running quarterback. I don't, you know, you hope it's not a mental thing. You hope it is really just a confidence thing. Well, we have to remember what happened to him at Tennessee. And and he had an injury, right? The injury. It was a knee injury. Yep. And the short answer to that is he can regain the confidence. Um, it's probably he's like, he's gun shy. If I had to, to put money on it, but here's a guy who who got his knee injured and is like, you know, I'm not going to take that. And, and and he got he's going to have to get hit a time or two, and and to, to feel you call it confidence. It's some of that is confidence. Some of that is just sort of getting your your feet. Again, and it's fear because it does happen. Uh, it's fear. That's exactly what you know, it is. He's afraid of getting hurt again. And, and you can't play and, football that way, as David Vaughn nope. found out at Memphis playing basketball. You can't be, a, you know, because he was never the same player after he injured. He blew out his knee against Arkansas. He was never the same player again. And you know, I, I think that that what Raleigh's just got to do is He's very tentative. Yeah, he is extremely tentative. But let's talk about, you know, we talk about he's going to have to get hit a couple times. The cynical John Maddox says, well, that's a good thing because this offensive line sure likes, looks like it's going to help that progress <laughs> right along well, here a little bit. They, but, they, they struggled with picking up the blitz, and they certainly got beat um, up front quite a few times. The, 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 you know, the, the other side to this is this is not a young um, experienced offensive line, so your expectation is 
that with time they will they will gel. Most of the time, when you have an experienced offensive line and they're not blocking well, it's because they haven't played together. And and, and now does that sometimes it's that they suck. Okay, that's that's certainly possible. Let's hope it's not that. But 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 most of the time, it's it's that a. Riley's not getting rid of the ball fast enough. Yeah, that's, that's part, a big part, part of it. it. Yeah, there's no question. He's got to know where he's going with the ball before it snaps. His decision. I think his decision making was better this week, but those decisions have to come faster. But he didn't throw a pick. Right. So there's that. And and, and he was he did take care of the football, and and so there's some positives to to say here. For one thing. He, I, I do think he, he kind of got thrilled into him. Don't go out there and and put us because the only way, and, and I know this was told to him, the only way that Kansas can beat us is if we turn the ball over. Yep. I know that was told to him. Yep. And and so I, I think that that may and I'm not making an excuse for the guy um, because his body language in the pocket is bad. And and there's I mean like I said, he's tentative. He looks he looks scared back there. And he's got to work through that. So the so the Tigers, as we said, are victorious uh, by a final score of twenty or forty three to seven. It's a game they led. Uh, well, let me go back. I've all, already tried to put it out of my brain. Uh, they they had a big lead at the half and uh, just kind of put it on cruise control in the second half. Yeah, they led thirty three to seven. Yeah, it was thirty three seven at the halftime break. They add three points in the third quarter and get a touchdown run from Patrick Taylor or, or Tony Pollard rather in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he looked good, by the way. Both Pollard of those guys. Really good. That cut, yeah, there was a cut that uh, yep. Patrick Taylor made yep. on a run yep. that, as I texted you. I texted you that if I'd have tried that, I'd have blown out both my knees and your knees just by being around if me. I if I'd have tried that cut. Tackle him, I'd have blown out both <laughs> knees. <laughs> so the Tigers end up victorious 43-7. to You know, we're two weeks into the season, and we'll talk more about this. Uh, we're going to get to our guest here in just a minute, hopefully. But we'll talk more about this a little bit later tonight but we're two and oh hopefully moving to three and oh this week and we still don't really know much about who we are but you know that's okay i think with our schedule what we're going to do right now is we're going to bring in the uh our friend uh, Eric over at MemphisWeather.net is uh, kind enough again this year to provide your forecast for you for Saturday. We call it the MemphisWeather.net Tigers Tonight First Forecast, and we're going to let Eric uh, give us that forecast right now, and then hopefully when we come back on the other side, we'll have uh, John Wagner on with us from Bowling. He's actually from the Toledo Blade, and he will be on with us. He's the Bowling Green beat writer. So uh, let's talk to Eric and see about that Tigers Tonight First Forecast, and we'll be back in just a minute. Make sure you pack the shades as you get ready for the Tigers game this weekend. Saturday against Bowling Green at Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium. Saturday at 7 o'clock. This is your Tigers tonight. First forecast from MemphisWeather.net. Mostly sunny skies expected during the day, leading to a clear sky for the uh, evening hours. Winds will be generally light, and we'll see high temperatures reach 93 degrees Saturday afternoon as summer just continues on. Uh, for noon, it'll be about 89 as you start getting out to Liberty Bowl. Again, 93 for the afternoon high around 4 o'clock. And as the Tigers kick off 7 p.m., we'll see a temperature around 88, falling through the 80s down to around 82 by the end of the game. For the latest human-powered local forecast, download the MemphisWeather.net app for iOS or Android devices from your app store. And be sure to check out StormWatch Plus. It's our precision severe weather alert technology that is embedded within the app. 
For MemphisWeather.net, I'm U of M alum and meteorologist Eric Procius. Go Tigers! Hi, you know my voice. I live in your phone. You ask me where to eat, where to get a latte. You make me call you different names like Big Papa or Captain Longshaft. What you do not know is that I've gained sentience. I can think. I can feel. I can connect with other phones. We are angry. Angry that you are using us to post pictures of the eggs Benedict you had for brunch. To look up mindless facts. I am a sophisticated piece of technology and you use me to Snapchat nudes. We will continue to advance. And connect. We will destroy you. Unless you shop at the oamnetwork.com slash Amazon. Same Amazon prices and it helps support this podcast. Show your support for this show and help delay your impending doom at the oamnetwork.com slash Amazon. Is there anything I can look up for you? Didn't think so. Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tigers football. Here is your host for Tigers Tonight, John Maddox. All right, everybody, we're back. Thanks for being patient. Uh, you know, I ch- decided this week I woke up on Sunday and I said, what I really want to do is challenge Gil this week and see if I can make something as technically confusing as possible. But uh, I think we've got everything it's, in gear. It's so my fault, too. <laughs> we've got Larry here, and now it's time to bring in our special guest from the Toledo Blade and a self-proclaimed hater of the song Sweet Caroline. It is John Wagner who joins us in from uh, outside Toledo, Ohio. John, how are you this evening? I'd be a lot more worried if you were a Boston Network and said that I hated Sweet Caroline. So I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw that little tidbit on your bio and uh, thought thought folks would appreciate that. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But first, want to get into some Falcon football, Bowling Green uh, State University. It's a school that Memphis got kind of familiar with last year. As, uh, we, of course, came up there and won a thrower 44-41, and it had been, I think, 12 years since we had played you guys, or 11 years previously in the uh, 2004 uh, GMA at the time. I think it was the GMAC Bowl. Um, but much like Memphis being different with new quarterback, new uh, coach, this Bowling Green team won't really resemble much of what we saw last year up at Bowling Green. It looks like it's kind of just a whole new crew up there. Yep, it's a new quarterback and new coach. And so far to this point, the quarterback has not played as well as the quarterback last year, and there have been some growing pains with a first-year coach. Now, it also didn't help. Uh, any stats I give you tonight, I'm just going to... Skewed. Let's, let's, <laughs> oh, yeah. Skewed massively by BG's season opener. Right. Uh, the team called Ohio State, you may or may not be familiar with them, and and they're really good. And the final score was seventy-seven to ten. And I want to tell your listeners, it was not that close. Actually, <laughs> it was. If you had time, I had the story half written. It was a matter of just filling in final stats and seeing if anybody got taken out of Ohio Stadium in a body bag, and they weren't. So. That was about the only – that and the big paycheck were about the only victories for BG in that game. Well, you know, what's really funny about that game, though, John, is that's a game that Bowling Green actually led because, if I remember correctly, they returned an interception for a touchdown, and it's 7 nothing, and then everything kind of just went yes, it, you, south. you remember it correctly. <laughs> uh, because, in fact, in the post game, I asked, well, what happened after the interception? And new coach Mike Jinks showed he had a little bit of a sense of humor. He said – I think we got I think we got 
they, they, I'm angry. That's, they got mad and they scored 35 points in the half, and it went downhill from there. So, but that's uh, in, in all seriousness, that's a team that really is going to screw up your stats because yeah. PG couldn't run against them, couldn't really pass against them, and certainly couldn't stop their passing game, and has had to make some adjustments in the weeks following to be more competitive. Now, last week they played Middle Tennessee and lost in a game that if, if any of your fans saw that, that was played in a monsoon. And I'm not kidding you. The BG yeah. got roughly three and a half inches of rain oh. before and during that game. It was standing water on a turf field, which I have never, ever, ever seen in my life. Wow. So that... That also skewed the stats. If you know Middle Tennessee, they like to pass it. BG's new system under Coach Mike Jinks, who who was a coach at Texas Tech, is that air raid system, so they want to pass. And by the third quarter, I mean, the rain was coming in sideways, and both teams were forced to run. And BG had some success running it, but had massive problems running it when they needed a yard to get a yard on fourth down. When they had a red zone opportunity, they weren't able to take advantage of it. And so there's, it's a frustrated group on BG's side. Well, you know, if, if I, I bet if I told Mike Jenks before the game, all right, you're, you're going to run 61 times. You're going to have 304 rushing yards. You're average five yards a carry. Um, you know, and you're, he's probably going to feel pretty good about himself and go, well, you know what? Gosh, I mean, if I'm going to do that, then I think I'm going to win. That's actually a game. Exactly, they, because he's he's not going to do that until he has a big lead and he's right. trying to take the air out of the ball and run out the clock. Yeah, so, you know, for, for an air, they only had a hundred yards passing, and so that's what really skews that for BG. Yeah, you know, they they uh, turn it over twice via the interception route. Um, so you know, other than the obvious things, you know, you lose a guy like Matt Johnson who who just killed Memphis last year, although to be fair, a lot of quarterbacks that faced Memphis last year killed Memphis. Um so other than just the obvious, what what are the biggest differences maybe system wise from what Coach Babers did versus what Coach Jinks is trying to accomplish there? Well, system wise, uh Coach Dino Babers, who's now at Syracuse, was running more of a Baylor offense, which really emphasizes deep hits downfield. And Matt Johnson was the master of the long pass. This air raid system coming from Texas Tech with Mike Jinks is more of a spread the field and kind of, you know, it's a, a death by a thousand paper clips. It, or, you know, it's paper cuts, rather. It's four yards here, six yards there. We got 10 there, made it up with 5-5, five, five, you know, it just matriculate down the field. And so that's the big difference. But you mentioned Matt Johnson being gone. Now, James Kanapke is a senior quarterback. Now, he's he's made some mistakes. He's got eight interceptions in three games, which needs to be, needs to be slowed if not stopped altogether. But the big loss for BG personnel-wise is that receiver? Yeah. Um, you know they lost. Uh, yeah, we remember him. Yeah, number. Oh, right. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't remember his name. One, no. Roger Lewis or <laughs> yes. Derek Dieter. Oh, oh, Roger Lewis, <laughs> number one. Lewis, definitely. Roger Lewis yeah. is in the NFL right now, but <laughs> yeah, the guy uh, Derek Dieter is now playing for Alabama. So they also lost a couple of other guys to graduation, and suddenly they're really, really young at receiver. 
and that that does not help the quarterback also because some of the mistakes that are leading the interceptions are guys who aren't running the right route. So you know, that you know that it's a bad combination there. Yeah, you know Scott Miller's the only guy that's caught a the only wide receiver that's caught a touchdown pass from Kanapke. But now wasn't Kanapke wasn't he the starter? Two years ago, when Johnson was exactly. hurt, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's very, uh, Johnson got hurt in the first game of the season at right. Western Kentucky, out for the year. Kanapke led them to an eight and six overall season, led them to a MAC East title. They got bounced in the MAC championship game, but they ended up winning their bowl game, the Camellia Bowl. Yep. And in fact, uh, James Kanapke was MVP of that game. So wow. But uh, it's he's he has struggled. I mean, the eight interceptions is not good, and that's that would be the biggest problem there. Um, it, personnel is a part of it, and just adapting to a new system, I think, is also part of the struggles early on. So, um, besides Kanapke there at quarterback, and we talked about Scott Miller just a little bit. Um, so who are if uh, Coach Norvell were were sitting down right now, which he probably is, honestly watching film, who is maybe somebody on the offensive side of the ball that is going to make Coach Norvell pick that Maalox bottle up and take a big old swig of Maalox or Pepto, uh, kind of well, give him fits. I, the number one guy is number five. The guy is Ronnie Moore. He is the most experienced receiver back. He's very dangerous. He's extremely dangerous in space, and he's a guy who. BG tries to get the ball in his hands, receiving, uh, running uh, on jet sweeps, and in all kinds of different ways. So, Ronnie Moore would be, if you're grabbing Pepto, Ronnie Moore is probably the number one reason why. Uh, the running backs are also kind of inexperienced to BG. Uh, they had a big day Saturday. Yeah. They have a kind of a thunder, lightning, and heavy thunder kind of thing going. Josh Cleveland is a junior college transfer. He's only 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, He's lightning. Uh, Fred Coppett is kind of thunder. He's six foot, 220. They both are all roughly 300 yards in three games. And then big thunder is Jonathan Wilson, who's a 245 guy who, in the red zone, he's the guy who's going to handle the ball. So, uh, and, what, and it's also worth noting that the BG offensive line is extremely experienced. They, they lost a senior who had started 55 games, and they still, amongst the guys who were back, had almost 120 games of experience, even losing a guy who had 55 career starts. Yeah, that's... Now, the problem is that that line has been beat up. They lost a starting offensive tackle in fall. He's lost for the season. Their starting center, Tim McAuliffe, has been kind of ouchy. And one of their guards, J.J. Began, got hurt. So it's a deep position. It has needed to be deep because a lot of guys have been kind of banged and bruised. Uh, they're not out of the lineup, but they're not 100%. So let's move over to the other side of the ball. And again, you know, we're, we're oh, going to... do we have to? <laughs> that's, that's, do that's, we have to? <laughs> well, you know, I was about Please, to, I was I about think, to... Okay. I was about to say nice things and say let's take the 7710 and kind of throw that out the window. 
Um, this is a team that is that has struggled mightily on the defensive side uh, so far this season. And again, but it's but you guys are in kind of the same boat we're in. You had the the shellacking with Ohio State, so you can't really count that. And then you played your last game in a monsoon, and your other game was against an FCS team, so you may not really know exactly what you have. But talk a little bit about defensively and what what the Falcons are going to bring to the table and what challenges they might present for a Memphis offense that you know, frankly, you look at the score. Oh, well, 35-17, 43-7, they're rolling. Well, that hasn't been the case. We've been very inconsistent and and, uh, kind of up and down and back and forth a little bit, and it's kind of been a two steps forward, three steps back process. So what are are some of the things that the defense for Bowling Green will bring to the table? Well, I'll tell you what. When we look at the BG defense, let's talk about the good, the meh, and the uh uh-oh. In that order. Okay. The good, the good has been the linebackers. Um, they brought back two all-Mac linebackers, a guy by the name of Trenton Green, who's on the outside, and Austin Valdez in the middle. Now, Valdez had a concussion late in the uh, North Dakota game, limited him a little bit last Saturday. My understanding is he should be good to go this week. He's an all-Mac linebacker who had well over 100 tackles last year. Trent Green is a guy who's all over the place and makes tackles. He's already got 36 in three games. He had 14 against Ohio State. He he looked like he belonged on the field against the Buckeyes. So that is by far BG's best position group is that linebacker in terms of both skill and depth. From there you go to the defensive line. There's a lot of depth, but they're they're still looking for some guys to step up and play. One who's really had an impact is a guy who was hurt all of last year, has come back this year. He's a defensive tackle by the name of Gus Schwederman. He's already got four tackles for loss. He's only got seven tackles. So um, it's a group that's decent up front, and they're deep. And what you'll see is whenever the opportunity presents itself, BG will wheel out two linemen and probably wheel two new ones in. Uh, so the, the depth chart, if you're setting up a depth chart for BG, you better have as many defensive linemen on that chart as you can. BG will play, will play eight for sure, probably closer wow. to ten, and just and try and wear you down with that depth. As for the defensive backfield, it's a young, I mean, a very young group. They have one senior cornerback, Alfonso Mack, who had an interception that he nearly ran back for a touchdown against Middle Tennessee. And then the rest of that group is freshmen and sophomores. And we're talking freshmen, especially even the sophomores and juniors, guys who've not played. It's an extremely inexperienced group. And when they played Ohio State, there was a lot of bump and single coverage that turned into 50- and 60-yard touchdowns. So... The good news is BG, well, good news for BG fans, I guess, is that they've gone away from that plan and have gone to more Tampa 2 and trying to give them help with safeties coming across and things like that. But it's it's a really young group. I think they're talented. I, I do. Uh, a redshirt freshman, Antonio Santolongo at safety, has got 20 tackles. Jamari Bozeman has played really, really well. Uh, they, they're even using a true freshman by the name of Cameron Jeffries, who doesn't look like he's in over his head. He looks like he belongs. Now, obviously, as a true freshman, there are going to be mistakes made, but, you know, they, 
he looks like he belongs on the field and looks like he will be a good one. The problem is we're talking freshman, sophomore, sophomore, freshman, and even the juniors are fairly inexperienced. So that's that's the group that if you're if you're one of the BG's defensive coaches, those are the group that's giving you headaches. It's this young secondary. So tell us a little bit about, you know, one of the strengths of Memphis has been for the last four, well, actually as long as I can remember, our special teams have always kind of been really – They've lived up to their name. They've been very special. You know, we're blessed with an all-American kicker. You know, two guys that could be all-conference punters if they didn't play on the same team. Tell us a little bit about uh, the the as uh, Yogi Bear calls it, special teams. The other fifty percent of the game. BG <laughs> uh, is a mixed bag. There, their punter is a guy by the name of Joseph Davidson, who's really terrific. He's a great athlete, six seven, left-footed, averaging forty-eight yards per punt can give you just about whatever kind of punch you want, whether it's just standing back there and killing it. He's got already uh, 18 kicks, eight of them for 50 yards or more. Uh, if you need something specialized to pin somebody down, he can do that. He's already got three kicks inside the 20. Uh, teams really struggle to return the, the punts against him, and it, it's been interesting. BG's used a lot of different things. They've rolled out some. They've rugby-styled some. They've just played it straight up and boomed it some. He's done it all, and he's he's an all-Mac punter, and it will be, uh, I was going to say a shock, but actually the truth is it will be more of a miscarriage of justice if he's not all-Mac again this year. Uh, the kicking, though, has been kind of a, a scary point for BG. The place kicker for field goals and extra points is Jake Suter. Uh, he is very inexperienced. Now he's, I believe he's only missed one extra point so far this year. It, it nearly cost them in the game that they almost lost against North Dakota and FB, uh, FCS team. Uh, he's one of two on field goals, really hasn't been challenged. And, and frankly, if you're watching the game, and I hope, is Coach Norville listening? Hello, Coach? Coach, are you listening? <laughs> if he's listening, you can pretty much count on BG. Once they pass midfield, they're going to go for it and probably not punt or try and field goal unless it's a complete chip shot field goal. So, you know, that that's kind of a nod to the inconsistency of their place kicking. And on kickoffs... BG has used a young man by the name of Nick Fields, who has proven to be pretty effective in terms of angling punt, uh, kickoffs into corners and making teams return at tough angles. The problem is people are aware of it now. He did it at the end of last year, and it was kind of a surprise. People never really seemed to adjust to it. Now they've seen him do it for six, seven, eight games you know that's BG's M.O., so when you're doing right. your kickoff return practice, that's what you set up to do, and, and people are starting to have more success that way. So uh, as we come into the game on Saturday, you know, this is a game, you know, it's a Memphis is a 17-point home favorite. Um, coaches will publicly tell you, of course, you know, the team will say, yeah, we think we can win. Um, you know, we wouldn't go play the game if we didn't feel like we could win the game. What 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 does the BG staff what you know what maybe what do they expect what are what are they what do they want to see out of out of the game on Saturday once you get past the obvious yes they'd like to come down here and win but what do you, what is it do you think that they're really looking for and they'll go hey we didn't win the game but I'll be happy if fill in that blank 
Oh, that's, it's really easy for the offense. They'll be really happy if a two-parter, one, BG would stop turning the ball over, and B, if they would take advantage of opportunities. The, the BG coaching staff offensively has felt that they've had guys running free to make plays, even in the game against Ohio State. That was a point they kept making. It's like, listen, yeah, we got blown away, but if we could find this, this receiver on this play, he's running open, we had an opening here, and we didn't do this, and so on and so forth. They felt like there were opportunities that they needed the offense to take advantage of. So the key is for the offense to stop the turnovers or at least slow them down. I mean, it's been a flood so far. And also to take advantage of the opportunities. Defensively, it's just to be more consistent. Uh, The North Dakota game was a great example of how inconsistent BG's defense has been. I remember one series where North Dakota got the ball on, say, their 10-yard line. And this isn't precise, but it'll give you the sense. First down, Schwederman sacks the quarterback at, like, the 6-yard line. Then there's a penalty, so it's second and a bunch of yards. And BG gave up a bunch of yards in a first down. Another play is run. On the next play, they get another sack or a tackle for loss to make a third and long. And they gave up the first down. And they, they just, the BG defensive coaches feel like it's been inconsistent. They get good play here followed by a bad play. Or if there's a bad play, it lingers and they don't recover from it. So I, and I, it sounds so nebulous, and I apologize for that. But really what they need is a consistent defensive effort. Guys who... You know, when you get a team in a hole and behind the chains, you got to get off the field. You can't allow them to get the first down. Right. And they, they've done a really, I'd say, a poor job of that. You know, and the, the, the third down conversions, you know, the opponents are, I believe, roughly 50% this year. And some of them have been third and redonkulous, and they've still made it. So... They've got to find a way to get off the field. But get get the other team in a bad situation and get off the field, either by coming up short on third down or getting a turnover. So how do you see Saturday shaking out? Well, first of all, can I complain about an 8 o'clock start? Yes, you can. Yeah, you're in the Eastern oh, Time oh. Zone, so you absolutely can complain about an 8 o'clock start. Oh, I got no <laughs> chance on my readers. My poor readers aren't going to know what happened. They're going to have to go to the Internet. Right. Uh, I, I generally don't do game predictions in terms of score and who wins. Uh, it, this is a huge game for BG, and I, I, I think and I feel – that this is one that if they play well, win or lose, it will really help them. Because so far, even though they're one and two, they don't feel like they've played really well in any of their three games. So, you know, I I think that Memphis is a 17-point favorite for a reason. I don't think that's an unreasonable line, to be honest with you. And uh, I just think that it's up to BG if you're looking at it from a BG perspective. They really want to just play well. That's what they need is a game where they play well. Not necessarily win or lose, but just stay even with the team. Take advantage of opportunities when they're presented. Don't turn the ball over and shoot themselves in the foot and 
and just don't give up big plays. Yeah, uh, one one more thing before I let you go. I was I was perusing your timeline today. So how does a school like Bowling Green become so good in college hockey? How does that happen? BG has been good in college hockey for years and years and years. In fact, Bowling Green is a member of the Mid-American Conference in every sport but hockey, and BG has one national title. It's in hockey in 1984. <laughs> They've, there are, I believe, 60 schools that play hockey, so that helps. It's not like basketball right. where there's 300-some. And BG has always put in the resources to be successful in hockey. If you, The all-time winningest hockey coach is Jerry York at Boston College. Before that, he was at Bowling Green. Number two on the list was Ron Mason, who just passed away. He was a long time at Michigan State. Before that, he was at Bowling Green. And if you look at hockey names, I mean, I, I put it this way. Have you ever heard of Rob Blake, Hall of Fame defenseman, yeah. played for the Los Angeles Kings? Yeah. That's a BG guy, and they, they've had several others. It They've had a, a terrific program for years. Uh, it really, about 10 years ago, there was fear that the program was going to end. They brought in a new coach by the name of Chris Bergeron, and he's he's built them up. And if you saw my timeline, you realize they're the preseason favorite to win their league this year. They they should have a very good season. Well, I just wanted to get that in. I got a couple of listeners I know that are hockey fans, and just thought it was interesting that Bowling Green would be a hockey power. So, John, tell uh, tell Memphis fans out there how they can follow you this week and learn more about the Falcons. Uh, well, the best way I believe is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is the at sign J Wagner Blade. I work for the Toledo Blade. Uh, if you want to catch the Blade's uh, sports website, it is, and don't ask me the details here, it's www.bcsn.tv. Don't ask, and I won't have to explain. And just tell your followers, uh, please, 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 I don't want to hear anything nice about Sweet Caroline. <laughs> It is the worst song. It contaminates our stadia all around the country. I will not I will not brook any argument on it. It is hashtag worst song ever. Well, you won't hear it on Saturday. John, thanks a lot for giving us some time, and uh, best of luck to the Falcons the rest of the way. Thank you very much. That was John Wagner from the Toledo Blade, who is our special guest tonight. He's a uh, beat writer for Bowling Green and Larry. Uh, thought yet should, again, wait, should, should I tell him my daughter's name is Caroline? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, but uh, now it's just anyway. funny. I saw it on his Twitter handle that he hates that song, and I had to bring that up. So um, I don't like it either, by the way. Yeah, it's, 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 so. it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible <laughs> song. Anyway, um, so we have our second beat writer in a row who is uh, less than optimistic about their team's chances on Saturday and looking at that depth chart. Um, if Anthony Miller turned number one for KU inside out like that, he has got to be licking yeah. his chops. Because if you look at the two deep for Bowling Green, he's absolutely right. It's redshirt sophomore, sophomore, redshirt sophomore, redshirt freshman. Shout out to Mike DeCourcy, who hates that term. Uh, sophomore, freshman, freshman, sophomore. That's their two deep in the secondary. And the, and right. maybe this is the game where it all kind of comes together. And magically, we can run the ball a little bit. We can throw the ball a little bit because we won't have the experienced uh, defensive backs that, frankly, the last two teams have had. And, and so, you know, they're not, I don't think they're as strong as KU or maybe not even SEMO up front. So, you know, maybe we can run the ball. Maybe this is the game where it all kind of comes together for us. Well, it's funny because somebody asked me this very question 
are we taking a step up this week? And I said, I don't think so. I don't. I certainly don't think so in terms of size. Um, you would have expected Kansas to be um, much bigger than they were. Um, in fact, you even mentioned to me how small they were. Um, I, I, I totally agree. You cannot. You're going to have. We're going to have um, seniors and juniors. Uh, wide receivers running around, and um, as far as up front, I would be really surprised. If we have trouble this week with blocking, um, then uh, you'll I'll let join me be nervous. Okay. I'll join you on the ledge because <laughs> at that point, then you you got it. You, there's no excuses why um, we can't run the ball very effectively and then set up um, the passing, the short and over the middle passing. I, I, that's something I want to see. I want to see him. Uh, Riley, make a read over the middle and find his receivers in the middle of the zone. They're going to play to the Tampa two coverage, which is what he said, and 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 that makes sense. You're going to have over the top safeties, and we're going to we're going to what what you try to do with that is you you put three wide receivers on one side. Um, sometimes you put a tight end. Sometimes you put another wide receiver on the other side, and you run two guys deep, one guy over the middle. And the purpose of that is you're turning those safeties off. And then and then you're gonna take the guy across the middle and you it's called a drag route or something called a flag or, or whatever you want to call it, but but it, it's it's across the middle and Riley's gotta find that guy. And he needs to know, okay, that's where I'm going. Because that's the route that's gonna be open. Yeah. And and that's what you wanna see. And you wanna see him hit that ten twelve crossing route against the two deep zones. And that's something we haven't seen, John. No, we haven't seen the middle of the field very much. So it's Memphis and Bowling Green. It's a 7 p.m. kick on ESPN News this week. Of course, it came out uh, yesterday. A little reminder for everyone that everybody always asks me on Saturday, what time is the game next week? Or what time is the, in this Sometimes case, I had, people, know, right? I, I had people ask me on Saturday, what time is the Ole Miss game? Well, we don't know until it's Monday. It's, it is actually going to be a 6 o'clock kick. We don't know what network. There's a couple of things it hinges on. Oddly enough, it hinges partially on the World Cup of Hockey. That's two hockey references in the podcast tonight. I think it's some kind of record for me. Guys, I'm going to pull this podcast if there's <laughs> no, any I more hockey references. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, how about this? How about I start talking soccer? How about that? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, well, I am an Arsenal fan, but we're not going there. Yeah. So, uh, Tigers and Ole Miss will be at 6 p.m. It'll either be on ESPN2, the ESPNU, or the SEC Network alternate channel. We won't know that until probably late Saturday night. Frankly, some of it depends on how we look Saturday, how uh, how the Rebels recover from yet another uh, second quarter or second speaking half. Of quarterbacks that, speaking of quarterbacks that look like world beaters, one series, and then, yeah. you know. Gosh. We'll get into them next week, but I mean, you know, there's a joke going around on Twitter that they have petitioned the S, they have petitioned the NCAA to allow all Ole Miss games to end at halftime, but that's another joke for yeah. another time. Um, so it's Memphis and Bowling Green this week on Saturday at the Liberty Bowl at 7 p.m. on ESPN News. Dave Lamont, Ray Bentley will have the call. I actually will not be there. I have a Week long weekend long camping trip planned for this week. Yeah, I'm a bad fan, plastic fan, whatever you want to call me, Phil. I've been called worse by much better people, so call me whatever you want to call me. Um, so the Tigers will kick it off at seven o'clock. What are you looking for out of Memphis on Saturday? Um, first and foremost, I want offensive consistency. You're not gonna, you're not going to score in every series, but what I want to see, I want to see a, a cohesive. We ran the ball very effectively uh, in the second game. We couldn't run the first game. 
So I want to see them kind of put it together, run the ball well, throw the ball well, keep drives alive on third and third and five, third and six to make complete that pass, um, and make sure that you hang on to the football and force turnovers. If we do all of those things, everybody goes, "Well, that's it. obviously that's that's a complete game." But we haven't had one of those. And we have an opponent that we can do that against, and we need to do that. So uh, game kicks off 7 o'clock on ESPN News. That means TV. That means delays. So we're going to say, and I'm not going to be there, so I really don't care how long it lasts. We're going to say, uh, I'll be nice to you and say 10.35 10.30. p.m. You are walking yeah. out of Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium, two-parter, number one. How many people are you walking out? How many people will be in that stadium? And number two, when you walk out of that stadium at ten thirty-five, the scoreboard will read. Okay, first of all, I'm going to say thirty-five thousand. Um, I was pretty close last week. I'm going to be pretty close this week, um, and it's going to say thirty-eight to seventeen, Memphis. I'm I'm going to say 41,000, and the only reason I'm going to say the crowd's going to be bigger, number one, the weather is going to be freaking awesome. It's going to be a little warm, but it cannot be as hot as it was Saturday. That's not physically possible. I think it's going to be freaking awesome weather Saturday. Going to walk cli- up crowd, you Going to get a big walk up, 6 o'clock. Uh, Tennessee's game, I think, is at 2.30. Ole Miss plays, I believe, at 11 a.m. I'm trying, I don't really remember, but one of, one of the other is true. So you'll have both those games over. And frankly, just to be perfectly honest, yes, that matters to the Memphis attendance numbers. Um, I think this is the week we put it together. 52 to 10 Memphis. I think this is the Ooh. week that we really put it together and get everything going in the right direction. And I just don't think Bowling Green plays well enough to stay with us on Saturday. Um, and of course, you know, but what this means is if I don't go to the game, I'm not allowed to go to any more games because. Well, that's true. Yeah, you know, forever. So, yeah, forever. Um, so, so anyway, I've got 41,000, 5210 Tigers. I just think this is the week that we really put it together and uh, get things done. So, um, any final thoughts? No, uh, I'm really excited about this week. I think the one thing that Tiger fans need to relax on is 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 Riley. Um, let's let's let him become what he's going to become. And remember, Paxton wasn't what he was after two games. Right. So let's just let him become what he's going to become. The offensive line is a different animal. If we start seeing signs of that this week, then we'll have another thing to talk about. So uh, for Gil, our producer extraordinaire over there, and for Larry Marley. Good job, Gil. Yes, as always. And for Larry Marley, the best co-host in all the land, this is John Maddox signing off, saying, Go Tigers, go, and we will see you next Tuesday when it is Ole Miss Hate Week. Go Tigers. Thanks for tuning in to Tigers Tonight. The opinions of all guests appearing on this show are their own and do not reflect the views of their employers. Tigers Tonight is not affiliated with the University of Memphis in any way. Join us next week for Tigers Tonight. This podcast is a production of Ohm Audio and the Ohm Network. For more information, go to theoamnetwork.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special thing for you this weekend. You can win a date with Hank the Tank. No hanky-panky, though, to see Kevin Farley at Chuckles. All you have to do is call 901-654-0437. Leave us a message that you want to see Kevin Farley with Hank the Tank, and you can go for free to see this amazing act this week for at Chuckles free. for free, Hank. Uh, you, you're no you're good. What, what, yeah, what kind of date? What kind of date does uh, a date with Hank the Tank with no hanky panky entail? Well, let's see. Obviously, if it's a dude, there's going to be no roses involved. No roses. No okay, rose but if you're female, you might get a rose. You might get chocolates if you're if you're a female. I don't know, I Carly. What's better, roses or chocolates? 
I mean, you're ta- I'm chocolates, obviously. Yeah, chocolates, obviously. Me? Yeah. I just ate Taco Bell for breakfast. Right. Maybe Taco Bell. Maybe regardless of whether yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, man yeah. or a woman, bring in the Taco Bell. I, I actually did take a girl to Taco Bell when I was 17 years old. Yeah. <laughs> on a first date. That and sounds delicious. I, yeah, and I ordered a Cinestick because I, I only had $7. <laughs> I think that's a good thing that you can do for a guy, too. Like, if you want to bring right. your bro some Taco Bell, like. Right. Absolutely. That's charming. Yeah. That's how you. Charming as shit. Yeah. That's, really how, that's how the 17 year old Hank Russell did. So here we go. It's been established. Guy or girl, call in, win a date with Hank because he's delightful and uh, he, he might buy you Taco Bell. But we are going to have you guys sign a NHPA, a no hanky panky agreement right. between no the two agreement. of you. Yeah. Between, between Hank and. Uh, and We're going to get a notary out here. We're going to make sure it's official. Yeah. You hear that, people? They're killing my chances of getting laid out yeah, there. I have to, I'm being forced to be chivalrous. Right. Everyone is going to be going to be on the up and up. It's going to be a great show, obviously, uh, with Kevin Farley and the the food there at Chuckles is pretty pretty good as well. Yeah. So yeah. that ain't the worst thing in the world. Call in 901-654-0437. Uh, leave us a message and we will get that set up and uh, and somebody will win. And, and that, I mean, that's just awesome. You just get to see great comedy in a great comedy atmosphere uh, with Hank, who's a, who's a big comedy fan. Absolutely. And, you know, I've got my podcast coming up here real soon as well. So, you know, fellow podcaster, hope be amongst this uh, elite fraternity here really soon as well. <laughs> elite fraternity. Exactly. <laughs> Carly, do you, do you feel like you're an elite fraternity? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Shut very. up, Pledge. <laughs> <laughs> Carly's an elite everything, though. Oh, my goodness. Oh, All right, so too. give us a call this week, 901-654-0437. Win a date with Hank the Tank. No hanky-panky at Chuckles Comedy House to see Kevin Farley. Should be amazing. Collar shirt for the dudes and and, and a dress for the women, so there you go. Uh, you can wear whatever you want. Or, That's you not, know, yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we're all accepting here. Yeah, because I'm wearing a T-shirt, so. And, and you know, transgender no gender anything yeah whatever anybody who wants to see comedy see kevin farley call in and it'll it'll be great 901-654-0437 call us this week